We're on the, the back side of, of Miami Beach on the Biscayne Bay side on a beautiful day. And it's, uh, it's an area that five years ago was flooding constantly. This is The Takeaway, I'm Tanzina Vega, and all this week we're live from WLRN in Miami, Florida. With the help of the Miami Foundation, we're reporting on a wide range of issues this week, from gun violence to gentrification and climate change. And that's what brought us to Miami Beach. This area, they have raised everything you see here. They've raised the seawall, they've raised the roads, and the only thing they haven't raised are the larger buildings. And that is? Hal Wanless. I'm a professor in the Department of Geography and Regional Studies at the University of Miami. Hal has been preaching about the dangers of sea level rise since the 1980s. I started down in Miami doing a master's in 64, came back on the faculty in 71, and spent a lifetime trying to understand the past, present, and future of sea level rise. We met up with Hal in Maurice Gibbs Park, which overlooks Biscayne Bay. Hal seemed perfectly comfortable in the sunny, humid, 90-degree heat. I, on the other hand, was about to melt. He brought us to this part of Miami Beach to give us a sort of climate change tour. We're standing here in, in Maurice Gibbs Park on the, the bay side of Miami Beach. And as you look on to the west across Biscayne Bay, you can see the mainland with some of the high-rises right along the shore. That area also was very low. The first thing we noticed was that the edge of the park had literally been raised a few feet higher than the water. As we stood at the edge of the park, Hal tells me it wasn't always this way. So this was an area that was flooding way too frequently. Because Miami's had about a foot of sea level rise in the last century, and because this was built by dredging up mud from the bay and putting it on top of mangroves that were flattened and the mangroves decayed and the mud dewatered. And so this area had also settled some, but it was the rise of sea level. And as I said, we've had a foot since 1930 that got this to flooding. So as we were coming over today, we were admiring a lot of the architecture, these beautiful pastel white buildings noticing that there is even more construction happening. We are building like there's no tomorrow. But there, well, well is there a tomorrow? I mean, that's the question. Uh, for maybe the next 10 or 15 years, but sea level's accelerating dramatically now. What is incentivizing people to build? Because they can sell. It seems that people don't look more than three to five years when they're buying. They don't think that far ahead. But the problem is we're sort of all along the Atlantic and Gulf Coast, and I guess all over the world, we're sort of into a real estate roulette world now, where you buy and hope you can sell before everybody says this is too inconvenient. You know, South Florida, even though the story is sort of dire, the, uh, South Florida is just a beautiful place to live. The, the risk of increased damage from hurricane surges, the risk from the inconvenience and pollution from flooding, is uh, as that increases, it will, it will become a problem that will help people move on. But I'm also thinking we're standing here, it's a beautiful Sunday, the birds are chirping, the kids are playing, the joggers are out, and there's this impending sense of this could be over pretty soon. I think many people have the ideas, because politicians don't like to face the reality, that, oh, they'll take care of it if it's a real problem. And, and 
You know, the problem with global warming is that we have been burning fossil fuels. We have elevated the atmospheric temperature by a degree above the pre-industrial levels. And, and, and the uh, UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change says that one degree could be enough to trigger the whole melt of Greenland. The real problem that we, we face is that all this heat, extra heat that's gone into the atmosphere because of burning fossil fuels, 93 plus percent of that has transferred to the ocean. And the warming is transferring. Most of it's in the upper thousand meters, but it's also getting deeper. And that both expands the ocean and it's getting in around the outlet fjords of Greenland and Antarctica and going in under under the ice and accelerating ice melt. That's unfathomable how you could stop that. That could be two more feet by 2046, which if you're looking right here, that puts, even though they've raised this park we're at, this puts this back underwater. With parts of Miami flooding regularly and sea levels rising, residents in the area are basically being displaced. Later this week, we're gonna talk about how climate change is fueling gentrification. Yeah, well, I think uh, all you have to do is talk to one of the major developers behind little developing Little Haiti when he said this is beachfront property in a few years. And so as with most uh, people of wealthy means, they think they can move about wherever they want. And they've decided that Liberty City, Little Haiti, uh, Alapata are all neighborhoods that are on the rise for them. As they know that climate change is going to happen, this city was built in a part of the world that is going to be afflicted by what we've done to the environment. And uh, so they take. And so they're building, uh, they're buying up property in Liberty City, which is a black neighborhood. It's been a black neighborhood for almost a century. And uh, they're saying, hey, this is the highest point in the city. It's built on, on sturdy ground. And so we're going to take it. That's Philip Agnew. He's the co-director of Dream Defenders, a social justice organization here in Florida. And we caught up with him at a community event in Liberty City, Miami. More on how climate change is shaping the gentrification in Miami and what people are doing about it this week on The Takeaway, live from WLRN in South Florida. Think back to all those sci-fi movies and books that predict what the future will look like with climate change. Being here in Miami, it really does seem like the future might already be here. You think about six inches of water, basically permanent around our communities down here. Um, And that's potentially within the next 15 years. So that's sort of what we're looking at as far as the urgency. That's Kate Stein, an environment reporter for WLRN here in Miami. And Kate says that folks are already facing some of the threats and consequences from climate change. Hurricane season technically started June 1st, so just a few days ago. And we had a subtropical storm, Alberto, just right before hurricane season even technically started. We've had really heavy rainfall over the past couple of weeks, which, yes, Florida usually has a wet season, but this year it seems to be earlier. We also have things like king tide flooding and sunny day flooding where the skies will be perfectly blue. But just because of the sea level rise combined with the regular you know, high tide, that leads to flooding, you know, water coming up through storm drains and in the streets. And people are driving their cars through six or eight inches of water some days. And of course, it gets worse if there's a lot of rain. We have... Remember the Zika uh, outbreak in 2016? Well, there's some evidence that 
because of a changing climate and because of global warming, mosquitoes are actually able to live longer farther north. And so potentially things like mosquito-borne illnesses are also a consequence of climate change that we are seeing in South Florida. And, and then there's the heat, too. Sorry, one more thing. No, no, please. Um, the heat. You know, global warming, that means temperatures are rising. And so for people who are elderly and don't have air conditioning, it's hard on them. Or people who are low income or for people who are agricultural workers, you know, South Florida is a big agricultural area. They are going to be impacted and are already starting to be impacted by global warming and climate change. And what about FEMA and federal flood insurance programs here on the Right. Ground. So that's a big deal here. Um, we learned currently the National Flood Insurance Program and the federal government don't include sea level rise in their flood insurance cost models. That's huge um, because as soon as sea level rise is included in those models, that means the insurance costs are going to go up for areas that are vulnerable to sea level rise, like South Florida. Um, we learned just a couple of weeks ago at a conference here, a former FEMA administrator, Roy Wright, said that probably that change will happen in the next two to three years. And that has huge implications for South Florida's economy because once the federal um, once the federal government begins including sea level rise in its insurance cost projections, that means insurance costs to homeowners and businesses will go up. But it also signals to the global markets that, hey, the federal government here is looking at sea level rise as a threat to South Florida. And so investors and banks and we're an economy that's very dependent on foreign investment in real estate. All those people are going to look at this change to the National Flood Insurance Program and say, oh, hey, they're including sea level rise in their insurance projections. Maybe South Florida is actually a pretty risky place to invest. And so that makes sea level rise and the risk of sea level rise. It's almost like the risk is going to sink us before the seas ever do if you know, governments aren't able to step up here and really show that they're able to take action and put into effect some adaptations and, you know, do some of the different things that they are potentially able to do to protect our infrastructure and real estate and property down here. And it's interesting. Miami is similar to New York in that it's had a ton of foreign investment, particularly when it comes to housing. Um, has there been a tapering off of that investment? Really, there has not. Um, actually, there was a report on NPR not that long ago about how foreign investors are continuing to come to Miami and continuing to buy up property. And even if you just look outside the windows of our office, you can see there are all these cranes in downtown Miami. So, no, it doesn't feel right now like there's a lot of tapering of foreign investment. But we've also had insurance companies and insurance risk modeling companies come in and say, hey, we're starting to look at this. And we know that credit ratings agencies are looking at sea level rise and its potential impact on South Florida as well. So there's a fear that it's just a question of, you know, once insurers and once bond rating agencies really start factoring in sea level rise to their assessment of South, South Florida's risk, then that they'll, you know, start signaling to foreign investors and to banks that this is maybe not the safest place to invest. And so that's why it feels so imperative right now for local leaders to really be able to point to adaptation projects and be able to say, yes, we have this risk from sea level rise, but here are the things that we're doing about it. And is there a sense of worry in the communities here in Miami, the residents um, who've been here for a long time? That totally depends on who you ask. Um, I think that Interestingly, I mean, obviously, so the, the developers and architects, they're worried about the implications for property. Some of them are. 
Um, some of them are not yet. You know, city officials, county officials, planners, urban planners, they're worried about what this would mean for our infrastructure. And then there's this growing sense of concern that climate change and sea level rise are really issues of injustice in lower income communities and communities that are historically of color. And one reason for that is because in the past, you know, people who had money wanted to be by the water. And so there's a sense that climate gentrification is taking place. And what that means is that the people who are in these lower income communities on higher ground feel like they're being forced out and in some cases are being priced out of their homes because people on the coasts are starting to want to look inland and move inland. Um, And so in that community, there's been a growing sense of urgency. But I think still, if you walked up to a lot of people on the street and asked them to talk about sea level rise and what it means for them, it would be a pretty foreign concept. And we're going to be talking a lot about these issues and more while we're here in Miami this week. Kate, thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Tanzina. Kate Stein is an environment reporter here at WLRN in Miami.